Welcome to the Systematic Selling Podcast. This is Sean Lydon, the founder of Lydon Communications and your host. This podcast exists to share strategies, trends, and best practices that help founders and their sales teams squeeze the stress out of sales and build a business they love. If you're not already a member of the Systematic Selling Newsletter, consider subscribing for free at systematicselling.co. That's systematicselling.co. Now, today's topic. You know, the best time to have started thinking about AI in your sales processes was about 14 months ago when OpenAI launched its public version of ChatGPT. So what's the next best time? Right now, because the AI landscape is changing daily, literally. And the founders who lean into the AI tools for sales and not dismiss them already have a significant competitive advantage in speed, hyper-targeted messaging, and much lower customer acquisition costs. If you feel like you've fallen behind, how can you catch up? I asked Henry Hayes, co-founder of Disrupt Ready, to join me to discuss AI's impact on sales on episode 11 of the Systematic Selling Podcast. Henry, welcome to the pod. Sean, this is a fun one. I've watched your, your work and I'm excited to be here to talk about this. So I'm excited to be diving in. Now, I'm curious, you're based in Baton Rouge. Is that That's correct? Right. That's right. You're an LSU grad. <laughs> yes. And a teacher now. So, okay. So does that mean you're a Baton Rouge native? Born here, moved to California when I was 11 years old. Really? So no culture shock there. Los Angeles, yeah, Baton Rouge, the one before, and then came back to LSU as a as a college student, and then majority of my working life have, have been have been back here in Baton Rouge. Yeah, and what brought you guys out to California to LA? My parents were divorced, and I was a young kid, and my mom moved my sisters and I out there to Los Angeles to to have a different career for herself. So, yeah, I always say I'm a bit of a mutt the way I grew up. South Louisiana and then Los Angeles and then Orange County. And so, you know, in retrospect, it was a good, it was a good mix because the eighties in California were interesting. The yes, 90s. they were. And then I came, came back to LSU because that's the only place I wanted to go to college. I hear that. I similar experience for me. I was born in Houston, Texas, lived there till I was about five. Then we moved to Honolulu and I was there for the next seven years. Parents divorced. And uh, my dad moved to Fort Lauderdale and that's what brought me out to Florida. So, you know, we, we, we all got our experiences in that way. Now you got a political science degree at LSU. Yeah. Ended up going into sales. So walk me through your, your journey there. Yeah. So I was one of those folks, Sean, who kicked and screamed and resisted this idea of sales. Yeah. From a teenager to a young man, college. And this is someone who I'm an extrovert by nature. Uh, I love to communicate. I love people. I don't like the same office every day. Yeah. So all these boxes were checked. I hear that. For me to be in sales. In fact, I'll tell you a fun story. The day I was born, two hours prior to me being born in this the hospital I was born in, yeah. My wife today was born. So my line is, hey, I showed up selling because I, you know, <laughs> met her day one. But that's a really odd coincidence. And we are 
married today and we've been married for 26 years and we were born on the same day in the same hospital anyway wow. i uh, yeah kind of a weird a weird coincidence yeah i resisted it because you know why sean i had the wrong idea of what yes. sales meant so i always thought it was the pushy talk you into something you don't want to do yep. type of attitude and behavior and it wasn't until my mid-20s that i got some a different mindset and a different talk track in my head to get my head around what it really could be. Yeah. So I was not someone that was rip-roaring, ready to go into sales, but I had all the skill set and the temperament for it. It just yeah. took me a while to find it. Now, did you go straight from college into sales or how, what was your no, career pro progression? I, um, I got my teaching credential because I, I, I was was and still am a big time fan of the sport of basketball. So I thought I was going to be a basketball coach and a yeah. high school teacher. I did that for two years. And while doing that was waiting tables at night for all the extra money they pay you in teaching. And I just, it, and it was a happenstance encounter. I met two sales reps who really pushed me to, to call their manager that I would be good at what they did. And yeah. that's how I got in the pharmaceutical arena. So no, I, I, again, I was trying not to be in sales after getting out of college, but I think doors open and the, you know, whether it's, you want to say God's knocking on your shoulder. Yeah. I, I didn't resist that. And again, I, I, I got that first job and, and that was 25 years ago. So a bunch of learning since then. Yeah. And did you play basketball in high school and so forth I, as well? I did. And uh, I played a lot of basketball in college and yeah. I, I was just a gym rat. I love, I love the game. I've coached my sons, I'm still real active in the game. So it's taught me a lot too. So a poli-sci major, were you teaching history or what were you teaching in high school? I was. History yeah. and math because the math teacher they had quit two weeks before school yeah. started. So that was not the plan, but I did my yeah. best. <laughs> well, you, you're going to laugh at this based on the parallelisms of our stories. So my wife and I were not born in the same hospital, but we both spent childhoods in Honolulu, believe it or not, even yeah. though we met in Birmingham, Alabama in college. The out of college, I taught high school English and coach track, but I didn't last two years. You said you lasted two years. Yeah. Yeah. I lasted one, but yeah. And like you, I saw, I saw sales in a different light. In fact, when I was graduating from college and was going into, to a seminary at Sanford's Beeson Divinity School. And I went to apply for jobs and I applied for a sales job at a, at a place that sold pool tables and recreational equipment. And when he asked me what I was studying, I said, I'm, you know, I'm getting my master's of divinity. And the guy goes, Sean, I don't think sales is going to be for you. <laughs> I was like, what, what, what are you talking about? He goes, well, sometimes even if we've got 10 tables in the back, you got to create a sense of urgency and you got to shade the truth and you got to do this and that. So that was my image of sales early on. So I imagine you had the same thing. So how did you, how did you break through that? What, what, what opened your eyes that, wait a minute, sales is actually, I imagine this is your philosophy, but sales is a service. Yeah. So it was just good old fashioned mentors and yeah. the training that you had to go through that that changed my mind it's also look one of, one of my mentors told me one day he said look around you everything is sold 
nothing happens yeah, if the yeah. resource minimum makes a sale. And that's true. And I yeah. think that unfortunately the the word does connotate some bad things. Yeah. So that's rightly so. It wasn't until I got into leading my own team that I really studied the term servant leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a different deal. It's hard to do. But yeah, I think, look, people have a lot of problems in today's world. And I think a great salesperson can help solve those problems. And if yeah. all you do is that and you stick to that mantra, you will be successful. But I yeah. didn't think that way, not to start. I had to, had, had to skin my knee a few times and learn that it, mindset was the majority of the game. And so I did, luckily, early. And that's when I began to kind of grow. Was there a particular mentor or did you stumble on a book or was it some sort of training that created that switch? Or was it, hey, that didn't work. Let me try this. And you constantly adapt until you found the way that worked. There's a little bit of all of that. Um, okay. Pretty, pretty voracious reader. Yeah. You know, the Napoleon Hills and the, mm-hmm. the Zig Ziglar's of the world are the, the foundational of course. You know, books yeah. that still have a lot of value today. I think this idea of, of, of truly creating value for someone first, you know, yeah. I was in the pharmaceutical industry kind of at its height when we had about 100,000 pharma reps in the country. And then when I left, it was cut by about 40,000. So really the idea of oversaturating a market and really not creating value was on full display. Yeah, I was very repellent to that. I I did not like, you know, let's throw as much mud against the wall and see what sticks. That was very uncomfortable for me. That's not what I wanted to do. And so I think it was a combination of all that you said, the most, the most impactful to me was always one-on-one with, with people where you could feel like you had the the relationship to, to share struggles and to, to really pick their, their brain on what they had done and how they see life. And the older I get, it's, it's just clear. It's a mindset game. You know, you're in charge of your thoughts and those dictate a lot of other things, including your behavior. And so the more, the more I got my head around that, the more success I had. And, and then kind of always gravitated north of me mentors to try to continue to, to figure out what I could learn. That in and of itself was a learning, right? Like you, you're, you're never going to figure it all out. So that chase to kind of always just get a little bit better. It was always super interesting and it's, it's, it served me well so far. Yeah. And when you say gravitate North, you're talking about people who are in the same organization that may be a, a few levels ahead, say in performance or in, in title that you, you look to and get advice. How does that work? Yeah, that's right. But I would say I would add parenting. You know, parenting mm. has been a really interesting mixing kind of the learnings of how to be a parent mm. uh, that I've used in, in in a sales career. Meaning I always respect people 8, 10, 15, 20 years ahead of my wife and I because they've run those roads. And, you know, I, I want to know what their experiences were, the good and the bad. And I think you can learn a lot when you humble yourself to say, look, yeah, I got a lot of this to figure out. I'd love to know what, how you thought of this and what you did. So there's a lot of kind of a parallel of both within a corporation and when you parent, because yeah. you look around, you can see people that you respect and ones that you don't. <laughs> and so I always gravitate to the ones I respect and, you know, people who have, who have run the race the right way. And I think the pitfalls and the, and the wins you can learn a lot from. So 
it's kind of an interesting parallel. Yeah, 100%. So when you see the the parallel you're talking about as a parent looking for people who've been down that journey, that road that you look to them and go, okay, the, these are people that I know I can learn from. And hey, if this works in parenting, this is going to work in sales or any endeavor that I'm looking at, including being a founder. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, because look, a lot of these problems that we have, these challenges as founders or yeah. you know, raising money and all these things, it's not like it hadn't happened before, right? right? And I think the quicker you open your eyes to that and then you match that with, hey, don't try to do this yourself because inevitably we will screw it up and we will let ourselves down. And so, yeah, I try to create a bigger, as big a group that I can trust to, to bounce things off of and to learn from and to say, what, how do you see this? And what, what am I missing? Validate this for me, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just been highly instructive for me and I, I, I love going about it that way. Yeah. I get that sense of you've got this openness, humility, coachability mindset that opens your mind to other ideas. And if you're, and if you're open to that, that can accelerate your growth. You nailed it, Sean, I'll go one further. So what we're going to talk about in this time is, is artificial intelligence and the advent, yeah. et cetera. Let me tell you, one of the things I talk about in a lot of my keynotes is the success or failure here. If, we, if we're 10, 15 years down the road and we're yeah. doing a, a posting of guys like Sean, Sean Leib and Henry Hayes, how'd they do? Right. I, and I've codified this as a, like Sean's baseball card, right? Flip yep. it over the back. And what are the yep. stats tell you? get the stats. I think it's leadership. I think it's flexibility. I think it's competitiveness because this is coming so quickly that if you don't have the ability to, to humble yourself and say, look, I don't, I'm vulnerable here. I don't understand technology. I want to resist the temptation to say the robots are going to kill us all, but that's really dragging me toward <laughs> saying that. Yeah. That's leadership, man. That's that's knowing that you're going to step out on that branch and it could break on you. Um, so it's funny that you say that. Yeah. This that is a superpower going forward to me because he or she who resists all this impending innovation, it's not like it used to be. And when I say used to be five, seven years ago, recent time. It's going too quick now, and there's a there's a much bigger pricing consequence to yep. be paid for those that don't step into it, frankly. And stepping into it can mean and will mean that you make mistakes, you skin your knee, you tweak and you move on, but not stepping into it, you don't even get the mistakes made. So yeah. leadership plays a massive, massive role into who wins and who loses here going forward. And I want to put a pin on that because in, in that because I definitely want to build off of this idea as we start unpacking the trends to hit on what you're talking about, because there, there are parallel principles here of openness to learning and humility when it comes to sales and also how you interact with the change that's going on around you. And I, I, I remember my dad pressing into me, he was engineer out of MIT, graduated in the late 1950s, worked at NASA on the Apollo program. But the one thing he drilled into me, he said, Sean, my degree at MIT 
was obsolete within 12 to 18 months. And that was in the 1950s. He said, whatever you do, learn how to learn. Constantly adapt. Get broad view. Learn how to drill deep when you need to drill deep. But have that teachability and coachability mindset in everything that you do. And and you hit hard on that and what you were saying there. Yeah, that's sage advice from your father. And like you said, that's almost 70 years ago or about 70 when, when he was coming up. So you um, can imagine how quickly that's changing now. And what I want to do is is shift into, I believe it was what, about a year ago, 13 months ago that you started Disrupt Ready. Is that correct? Yeah, so Disrupt Ready is kind of a, a a younger child of my consulting company. I'll tell you this story. Yeah. So I was in the pharmaceutical space for a little over 20 years yep. at several different companies. My last stop, we started a company called Avenir out of Southern California, which was a, a kind of a small biotech with this specific disease state concentration. And we had success with the drug and then sold the, the company and then yeah. the drug. And at that time, when that all happened and I chose to, to head out and do something different, the blockbuster videos in my town yeah, began to get boarded up. And I yeah. thought that was such an odd sight as an adult. That's just something, that's like seeing a Walmart or McDonald's boarded up and closed. You yeah. just didn't see that. And so my intellectual curiosity was piqued and I had time and a bit of resource on my hands to figure out what happened. And so from that time until really about a year and a half ago, we had a boutique consultancy that focused on what we called at the time, the essential eight. And it was yeah. eight different technologies that were in our minds coming to change, not a little bit about business, everything. Wow. And we thought, and we were right, that this was going to happen at rates that speed we simply never seen. Yeah. So the thesis then was, there's going to be need to be a lot of translation into small to medium-sized businesses on, on how they use this, what this is, or else they're going to get lost and gobbled up. And, and, and we were right about that. So when AI hit in November of November 30th of 2022, when OpenAI launches chat, yep. I remember that AI, day. hundred percent of our work went to that field because AI you know, still takes all the oxygen out of the room. Now, those seven technologies on the, on the other that were left uh, behind are still coming and they'll, they will be heard from. But for today, all the world's trying to get caught up on what is this? What is it? What does this technology do? Where does it come from? How does it work? Who's using it in my industry? Should I be scared of it? All those questions yeah. are, we're, we're, we're dealing with on a daily basis. So. And when you say the other seven technologies, I may have missed it as you were talking. Did you list those out? Yeah, we sure can. So it's artificial intelligence. It's 3D okay. printing, drones, the internet of things, the yep. blockchain, augmented reality, virtual reality, and the block. I think I said the blockchain. So yeah, yep. that's the eight. Yeah. Those are the eight in some form or fashion, Sean, that are, a lot of them are kind of, kind of here today. I'll give you an example. Augmented and virtual. If you've seen pictures or been in Las Vegas and seen the sphere, that yeah. is augmented in virtual reality in real life. Yeah. Uh, and now that technology is early and that was an expensive build, but it's a great case of 
you can get a sense of what's possible. And that is redefining what a live event should and will look like. Sure. And so all these things are coming. Um, again, our thesis and our the way we see the markets are, they're coming a lot faster than we're traditionally used to. So it's really important that you learn what they are, where they come from, how they work. And then the question is, if someone's using it in your business, the answer is they are. And the problem is those folks do not look like the incumbents. And a lot of that's on purpose. So they're looking at margins in businesses, Sean, and looking at it very non-traditionally. And they're using new technologies with sometimes radically new business models as new market entrants. And their bet is that will be good enough to take a large part, if not all of markets. And that's where the concern for the incumbents should. should now, should. when you say they, are you talking about the insurgents coming into a market? Correct. Because okay. it's much harder to, if you've run a market the same way for decades, right. which most businesses, it's much harder to, to turn on a right, right angle and disrupt your business than if Sean and Henry know nothing about the financial space. We do have an emerging technology handle, and then we've got a, a radically new business model. We're going to jump in because we don't have all the preconceived notions yeah. that would tell us that's a bad idea. A great example of this would be in the Airbnb space. So mm -hmm. both Marriott and Hilton, both their boards quickly shot down the idea that someone would want to rent Sean's third bedroom as a business because right. they had too many artificial market constructs in their head as to why it wouldn't work. Well, right. the disruptors and the, the 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 barbarians at their gates, as I call them, they don't have those traps in their heads, which won't allow them to get to a space to go, no, I think people would like to rent Sean's third bedroom. And if it could right. be on this, on a cell phone. And so we, we know how that turned out. So right. yeah, so that's that's kind of how we see those, those non-incumbents looking at markets. What's an example of, say, a smaller type business, maybe a service business, that in the past year would be battling the, the blockbuster effect? Sure, they're not big like blockbuster, but they do have an established market share, established, you know, loyal customers and things like that. What, how has, AI and other emerging technologies started to wrest those customers away from a smaller business? Yeah, it's a great question. And so the simplistic way to look at the answer to that question, Sean, is this. If you know nothing more about AI than the following, you're ahead of the game. All, all it's meant to do in its beginning stages is take Sean's 168 hours in a week. We all have 168, whether it's yep. Elon Musk, Henry Hayes, or you know, Sean Lyman. Okay, of that 168, figure out where Sean's spending most of his time. And most of that will be things like, if Sean's in sales research, cold emails, right. follow-ups, you know, tending to your calendar, sending proposals. Yep. Our bet is once you, once you kind of stretch that out on a table and you find kind of the human pinch points, which is either it's taking Sean too long and or he doesn't really enjoy doing it. Those are great opportunities to say, can AI and or automation step in and do better? And that's a mm -hmm. great way to look at it. So let's take research, for example. Any right. good salesperson in the B2B landscape, 
will always have to do research on anyone they're selling to. Right. And a lot of the times, the folks that are watching and listening to this know that you you might have one shot at a particular segment of of, of buyers. Right. So you need, so you don't want to blow it, and you want as much information and be as prepared as possible for that interaction. Well, right. that's a great use case for artificial intelligence because it can harvest and serve that data up to the salesperson in such a concise, quick manner that the, the second you you taste and feel that, you're wondering, where has this been my entire career? Yeah. And there's a saying in our business, which is never the same again. Meaning once you taste it, you will yeah. never, ever yeah, you can't do that come back. same again. Exactly. It's, it's a bit similar to, we all have banks and we all have cell phones and on the back of the cell phones are cameras. And now Sean and family can take a picture of a check and immediately deposit that check into an account in six seconds. As yep. to where in traditional times, you'd have to get in the car, sign the check, put it in the vacuum tube, wait for the receipt and drive home. Well, that's a 20 to 30 to 45 minute errand that you will never do the same again. Yeah. So innovation steps into our lives, but that's an example of AI stepping into a, a salesperson's week and you give them back two, three, four hours in a week. So then the question becomes, how do you come, become more productive with that time you got back? And that's when the fun starts. And real quick, before we get, get to that next step, let me make sure I've codified what you've said now, because I, what I think you've hit on is an AI trend that we need to be thinking about in sales. And the way I heard you describe it is it's more of a performance enhancing tech or the way I think of it, like an Iron Man suit. It takes who you are and it allows you to do it in you know, 30% less time or whatever the case might be, where you can, you can take large documents, feed it to chat GPT or to Claude AI and have them, you know, analyze it for you. You start asking questions, you get reports. The time savings there is, is immense the research as you talked about, being able to craft simple messages and so forth. So if I'm hearing you correctly, the first trend that you're talking about here is the performance enhancing time saving aspect of AI. Is that correct? Yeah, you're you're that's a really good characterization. I will tell you though, subconsciously what you did was it's what I talked about a few minutes ago. Your mindset is right. You didn't mm. say, wait a minute, is it coming to take my job? That's a negative right. mindset. Yeah. I'm not, I wouldn't blame you if you went there because that's what a lot of people are doing. You right. did the right thing, which is to say, hey, this is just another tool that has come along. Just like, look, Sean, our industry at one point was a door-to-door -door knocking on you know, doors in a neighborhood. Yeah, That's the way they worked. And that's patently absurd to any young salesperson today. They don't believe that to be true. Sure. But if you actually chronicle the innovations in, in the sales environment, they're more than you think. And the people who have won have simply got on board early, had a good mindset about it and figured out how to make it work for them. That's yeah. the key. Because when you can do that, you, you get more efficient, you get more productive and bottom line, you should make more revenue. Yeah. That's it. So you nailed it. It's like, now I will say this, 
we've never seen a tool as powerful as this one. With all yeah. those innovations I just mentioned, you know, compute power, the telephone, yeah. <laughs> the automobile, all these things a really good salesperson has been able to utilize. This is way more powerful than any of those. And, and it's coming quicker. So yeah. everything is sped up. So, you know, we, we talked about the performance enhancing aspect, and then you said, okay, now here's where the fun comes. Start unpacking that for me. And if you could, in, in a way that, that you can build them as trends that, that we as founders can, can latch onto and go, okay, we need to be watching that. We need to find ways of taking advantage of it or preparing for it. Sure. So if you're a founder, I think the phrase like work to be done is mm -hmm. in, on every founder's mind. And you're trying yeah. to do, you're trying, one person tries to do the job of four, right? Right. That's how every company goes. Yep. So you initially, it, it, it's good old fashioned task enhancement, meaning a task that a human would do can, can this do better? And the answers most of the time are yes. I'll give you a trend that we're seeing play out right in front of us, which is the idea of how products are sold and marketed to the mass, mass populations. Right. Most of the time, we're kind of beat over the head with the same message again and again and again. And we've seen the statistics and that's, that's the way the advertising industry has been run for decades. I think this is abruptly about to change because A, it should. I mean, I've always thought it was interesting when my 14-year-old and I are watching a college football game several years ago. Yeah. And a Nissan ad came on. And my son, at the time, a 14-year-old looked at me and said, Dad, I'll never buy a Nissan. And I said, son, where'd that come from? He just <laughs> said, I just want to watch the game. Yeah. And they're, from, they're, 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 they're in my way. And I thought, wow, that's from the mouths of kids, right? But I thought those folks at Nissan didn't do that. They, they didn't spend all that money to make that Heisman House commercial to upset my 14-year-old, which is going to be a, a driver in two years. But that's exactly what they did. Yeah. So I think they jumped the shark to quote, you know, the happy days. And so now with artificial intelligence, they should, with a laser scalpel, be speaking to my 14-year-old in a language that he likes, a platform that he's on, and then at a time when... He's searching for that product. You know, the saying in our office is don't sell a pound cake to a type one diabetic. Right. Right intent, wrong delivery. So that's a macro example of businesses getting really, really good at messaging to what we call ICPs, independent customer personas. Yeah. Because the bigger business gets, the more diverse and particular your buyer group is, and they have different wants and needs. Yeah. And so you should talk to them as a result of that. And a deep dive on data is exactly what AI is built for, to tell you the intricacies and the ins and outs of your customer personas and the way you should be messaging to them individually. So that's one example. Is there, Are there uh, notable tools right now that are geared specifically to that, or is that something where... You know, you have to adapt a chat GPT to do for you based on prompt engineering and so forth. How does that? Yeah. So what I just talked about is second and third layer artificial intelligence, meaning yeah. to, to sit in a period where you can look back on historical company data, you mm -hmm. need to be in a private environment that is not open to the public. 
Yeah. So right away, you're in a, what we call a closed loop system. It's password protected. That's, That's within your own company. Correct. That's what yep. we do when we build. We would never, ever recommend that you do that in an open environment because your data then becomes, it's in the ether. And so that's yep. not what we recommend. You mentioned prompt engineering. That's a piece of deriving the outcome, i.e. telling the machine what we want it to spit out. And yep. the more precise you can be, the better, you know, the better output you're going to get. So that is prompt engineering. But yeah. all that needs to be done in a closed loop environment when you're dealing with your own sales data. Gotcha. And so what you were talking about there in terms of this, this hyper targeting aspect is using the AI within your own company to examine your own customer data to develop messaging that would speak directly to them. And yeah, think of, Sean, think, yeah, think about a bank. So yep. a bank, a mid-sized bank has a lot of products under its roof. Oftentimes they don't, their own customers don't know they have things like HELOCs, for example, yep. a line of credit on your own home. Sometimes customers just don't know they have that, right? And they go, they go looking elsewhere. Well, let's, let's say if a bank has a first-time home buyers program, Folks in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, they don't need to be hearing ever about that because they, they, they clearly bought <laughs> their first home. So right. there's this kind of heat map predictive analytics that AI can produce for a bank that makes them get very specific on which product they talk to people and why and when, right? Yeah. Because again, one size should not fit all when we're selling and marketing to potential and, and, and uh, current customers. It just doesn't make sense. And right. you're, you, you, you're, you're banging your customer over the head after a while and they're going to get frustrated. Like you see a lot of people have. Yeah. So that's, a, that's one use case of the technology that allows you to write person, write message, write timing. Yeah. And so to recap so far, we, we talked about the performance enhancing aspect. We've talked about the hyper-targeting aspect. Specifically what you've addressed is within your own customers as, as sort of as a way of cultivating those relationships and using it as a tool for cross-selling. I take it you can also use this for outbound prospecting as well in terms 100%. of targeting your message. Yeah, not only that, I mean, to the extent that the, the salesperson wants to, you could design campaigns for outbound with complete with messaging and choice of messaging. So Sean could pick from five different versions of essentially how to say the same thing yeah. with the correct prompt on the front end to get exactly the output you want. You know, something I tell creatives and salespeople all the time, Sean, is a creative should never stare at a blinking cursor in a Word doc again, meaning yeah. at a minimum, this is a great jump start to any, any communication of any kind. Yeah. So. One thing I'm seeing and perhaps you're seeing that as well as the AIs now that, or, or the tools now that are able to say, record the, the conversation that we're having right now, be able to immediately put together, you know, the summary notes and so forth that in sales that you can use for discovery, use for quick recall as you're developing the proposals from there. Is that, 
Is that, is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, that's right. I mean, all those things are possible. And, yeah. you know, now you've gotten into another part of the technology, which is if I asked you, Sean, what you had for breakfast two Thursdays ago, you're probably going to have a tough time remembering. Now, that's a, a supposition. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But when I ask you how that how the, the meeting with a client went in July 20th of this year, of 2023, you're really going to have a tough time. Yeah. This won't. And so that ability to summarize and recall in a nanosecond is already here. Yeah. So it's like the ultimate assist that we've been wanting for a long time. And now we have. What else are you seeing out there? AI trends for B2B oh my gosh, sales. A lot. It, you know, yeah. really let's, let's unpack them. I'll tell you this, the best use cases these days, and we're still early, Sean, in the technology, yeah. are attached with the following. The person who's trying to get something out of AI has already defined what great looks like. So the business outcome or the finish line, they say, Henry, we want to get more leads for our high-end financial services company. Great. That, that's, the, that's what great looks like. That's the finish line. Now let's work backwards. What do these people do? How much do they make? What are their titles? What zip codes do you want them in? Yeah. Um, do you want us to communicate for you? How often? At what? Uh, do you want an appointment face to face on the phone? In person? All these things. The more specificity you can give to what a great finish line looks like, the better it can do that for you. So, and, and the the inverse of that's true too. The more nebulous and kind of general the ask is, it's not that great. So the key is to get as specific as possible. And this is where the human mind gets in the way because it, it thinks that it can't do that. And the answer is it can do that. So those that are able to kind of cross that river to say, all right, well, let me keep going. And I have my doubts, but I think this might be possible. That's those are the folks that are winning right now. So it's and when you say they're now. thinking that they can't do that, what is that? Is it, a specific task that initially because they're using a kind of a nebulous prompt or they don't quite have a clear idea that they're not getting results, but if they persevere, they will get it to break down what you mean by that. Yeah. I'll go a level higher. Again, okay. it's a new tool. And so they haven't, if they haven't put the tool in their hand, they don't know how it works. I think, especially salespeople, when we don't have all the information, we tend to make it up in our own heads and we're not always good at that because it quickly will go to the negative, meaning, yep. well, there's no way you can provide me with a lead list of a thousand new customers that, that look like the people I have now. That's just, that's impossible. Well, no, it's very possible. But I think, so that getting their mind, Sean, to say, like, is that possible? And going, yes, it is. We're doing it right now. Yeah. And then them believing it, that's, that's a huge part of this because the technology is is built for it. It's doing it right now. So I think a lot of that is just good old fashioned belief that it can work and it can do that. What I'm hearing from you is this idea of possibility thinking is here's what I want as an end goal. Is it possible? Well, yeah, it's possible on a human level. It's just going to take, you know, X number, you know, umpteen number of hours in order to do it in a way that scales. So then the question is, is it possible from a machine perspective, an AI perspective to make that happen? And maybe 
in the interim, it is it is an Iron Man. It is a hybrid, you know, human machine working together. You're cutting hours, but you're getting to the same end goal. And eventually it'll just be machine in that particular segment of whatever goal you're trying to achieve. Is that accurate? It is. And I'll get real micro so your listeners and and viewers can understand better. Yeah. Let's talk about the commercial real estate space. Yeah. In the commercial real estate space, the leases tend to be lengthy and and, and different almost every time. So there's variables based on county and a bunch of other factors. So if Sean and Henry have a commercial real estate company, a lot of the success and failure of the deals we do and don't do can be dependent on review of that lease. So we developed a, an AI product that is simply a drag and drop of a, a, as large a lease as you want. 9,000 pages, sure, we can handle it. Yeah. That, that AI beam is trained to, to review that lease for strengths, for weaknesses, and then provide recommendation on what the weaknesses are. It's also been trained on state laws as it relates to throwing up a red red flag if it sees anything in the review that's not legal. So right there, think about the time given back to the person that was reviewing the lease as a human. Right. And then let's take into account, Sean, let's be honest, just because a human's doing it doesn't mean that the work's always 100%. Sure. Humans have bad days. Yep. So this simply doesn't. And so you, you, you're giving a massive new assist tool to that businessman or businesswoman such that they can work a lot quicker on these deals. So that's just yeah. one example of tasks given back in a much more rapid, cheaper fashion that they're going to wonder where, where it's been their whole careers. Yeah, I got to imagine, is that something that enhances the work of, say, corporate attorneys and so forth? With, uh, uh, that's another area that we've worked on. So yeah. attorneys, in a lot of cases, use the services of a paralegal. Paralegals are great to, to unwind what they actually do. And a lot of that's good old-fashioned review and summary work. So yeah. if, you, if you could train a bot, which we've done, on the intricacies in a particular state of, of law, you can then drag and drop or question that bot to... Ask it anything you want in the legal realm. Now, the key there is in that particular industry, it doesn't give legal advice, but it does do the heavy lifting, the the drudgery in the research that a lot of paralegals do. So we have one that has passed the Massachusetts State Bar, and it's, it's currently in use in law firms all over Massachusetts. Wow. I want to touch on something you said earlier. You had... You had mentioned how using possibility thinking, seeing things are possible and in that outbound prospecting realm and a client going, hey, there's no way that you could put together a list of a thousand people that fit my ICP, my ideal, you know, target. But I would imagine that, you know, using possibility thinking, you say, okay, yeah, that's possible. But could this do the work of a sales development rep, an SDR, that not only do I have the list, but it's now targeting my my audience with specific messages. And oh, by the way, it's it's 
sending those out in a compliant way and I'm getting responses back that signal that, Hey, these prospects are interested in scheduling an appointment or have a quote request and so forth. Is that where you're seeing this go, especially on that, on that front end of that, of that sales cycle? A hundred percent. I mean, you nailed it. And even in hearing you talk about it, I could see salespeople going, well, that's just not possible because yeah. that would be panacea, right? And yeah. it is possible. We're doing it yesterday, put it that way. So yeah, it's just, it's times have changed and it's able to do everything you just said and more. And I think the way to think about it from the augmentative perspective is this. Any salespeople, if I could sit down and talk to them and say, what do you really love doing? What's, what is the sweet spot in your day and your week? In other yeah. words, if you could just do X, what would what would that look like? And a lot of people say, it's it's just me in front of the client. Yeah. Of all the information, there's some sort of buying intent. And now it's me and that person. And that interaction fills me up. Okay, great. Let's use the technology to get you in front of the client as much of your week's time as we can. How does that sound? And that's a different way to look at this, but that's, that's a great mindset and how to step into and use AI because it can do that. What I just, what I just mentioned. Yeah. And I got to imagine it enables a mass customization on steroids, meaning I've got, you know, field tested, proven templates I've used in my own business, other business and things like that, that work with specific types of customers in specific types of situations. And when you stay on those rails, you get the results you want. But if you ever want to expand beyond those markets where you have established messaging and everything else, it can take, you know, it took years to develop those templates and hone those. I imagine you're looking at something completely different with the tools that are being available now with AI that, you know, that you, your company's been putting together and so forth. Is that, is that accurate? Where... Yeah, that is accurate. I think it's a good way to look at it. You know, the other thing, Sean, about this is, I think I mentioned this earlier. Look, this is moving really, really quickly. I, I yeah. like to say that we're in the bottom of the first inning. The problem is we're having like six pitch innings. <laughs> so yeah. the game is afoot and it's moving pretty quickly, which means if you don't, if you don't try and pay pretty pretty close attention, you're going to get lapped. And so yesterday yeah. was a great day to step into this with the foundational knowledge. And then that's when the fun starts. And you, you decide this is for you, not against you. Yep. And the more that you do spend time to learn, to hey, make it work for you, not the other way around. Those are going to be your big, big winners. Yeah. If you were to put together a checklist of how founders you know they're still involved in the in the sales aspects of their business that's the size business they are how founders can begin thinking about or tapping into these ai trends not as something to be fearful of but as a to gain a competitive sales advantage what would be on the checklist what questions should they be asking themselves to get into the right frame of mind of leaning into this, taking advantage of it versus head in sand or being fearful of it. Yeah. So Sean, it's 
most of your listeners and viewers, I would think, would be non-technical in nature. Most. Yep. All right. So let's let's what I'm about to say is it all falls under the the vein of in a non-technical way. Yes. Meaning you've got to get an education on what this is, where it came from, how it works. So that's that's that educational base that just where can they get that education in a practical way? So there's a lot of ways to do it. We actually came up with a product, Sean, because we found that it's too much for executives to ingest in a one to two hour. Yeah. yeah it's just, it's too much. And so a drip, drip style and an educational adult learning format, we thought yeah. was better. And so What's we, the name of that product and how can they access it? It's called the Digital Assets Team University okay. or the DATU for short. Now, what okay. is that? We feel that if, if, if you have plans to keep your business around for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, right? Yeah. In other words, you're not retiring next week. It is incumbent upon you to try to develop a digital assets team. Why? Yeah. Because that team, Sean, will be full of people who love technology. They will spend time on their own nights, weekends, et cetera, stepping into the learning. In other words, they they get stimulated by learning about new things like this. And then that group can be re directly reporting to the CEO or the board because the CEO can say, look, when my head hits the pillow, I might not know everything about AI, but I know my digital assets team does. Yeah. Now think about that. That's playing offense. Defense would be, well, we don't have that cap capability here and we're just going to watch the market. Well, that's, that's playing defense. And I don't think that's a winning strategy. Yeah. Offense would be finding the folks under your roof that are interested in learning more about technology, want to be resourced to do it. And then they have a mandate to say, look, you, you need to go chase this. You guys need to meet such that the CEO can lean on you to say, here's what AI is doing in our space. Here are the folks in our space that are using it. And here are some recommendations we have based on the work we've done as to places we might, we might look to pilot it. What a yeah. great instructive way to, to take apart a new technology. And we don't call it the AI team, Sean, for a reason. Because AI is here today and it'll be here for a while. But the blockchain's right around the corner. The Internet of Things, augmented and virtual, robotics, 3D printing, drones, et cetera. Candidly, so, I would imagine AI is the is in all of those. It is by now. It's it's sort of the soul to the it to is. these hardware. But if you believe that these these technologies are coming quicker, which they are, yeah. then you have to have a way to make sense of them. And that's yeah. what we think a digital assets team is and does. And so, what a great resource to have under your own roof. So we we teach companies how to do that, how to spin that up, and then the first thing we do is. We start building a custom AI roadmap for that company to get in AI within a 12-month period. In fact, in that particular product, Sean, if we don't, I have a money-back guarantee saying we're so bullish on the training we give. Yeah. If we don't get you in the space, we'll get you. We'll give you your money back. And yeah. the worst case is you're a whole lot smarter than when you came to, to, to work with us. Now, there are other ways to do it. There's a lot of free resources online. We think kind of corporate accountability plays a big part here. So if you yep. go the YouTube route, it's going to be a little, little harder to, to have community and be accountable around those ideas. Where can, uh, folks, where can folks find more information on the DATU? Yeah, that's at disruptready.com, our website. Okay. There, there's information on the 
digital assets to the university and but there's other ways to do it that's just ours yeah and we'll put that in the show notes as well anything that we haven't talked about today as it relates to ai trends in sales that founders need to be thinking about cognizant of what what comes to mind yeah i'd say sean if you're listening to us today and you don't have an account with one of the llms get one all Mm. of them have a free version i say all of them chat gpt gets all the attention but you mentioned claude that's an anthropic product google has barred microsoft has copilot there's one called cohere i mean there's dozens of these yeah um, if you don't have one today, get one. It's it's time to get in the game. Even if it's just from a copywriting perspective, have fun with it. Ask it to write you a Shakespearean play in Eminem's voice, you know, in the 1980s. And it'll do that. Yeah. And you'll be amazed at how quickly it'll do it. But not getting in and not putting your foot in the water and tasting it yourself is a mistake. So I would say, if you do not have that, full stop turn off this podcast and go get one right now. Yeah. The, in terms of the services that you guys offer. So you mentioned that university It's an intro. Here's what's going on. We will help equip a member of your team to serve as that sort of AI liaison within your own company mm-hmm. to help you, you know, grow and develop in that way. I believe you also mentioned, you know, on the outbound prospecting side of things that you you talked about how you're able to, you put together tools to be able to, you know, pull together uh, highly targeted prospecting lists, highly targeted messaging. Are these some of the things that you do? Walk me through some of those things that that you do from a sales perspective and supporting that. So everything we've talked about, Sean, at Disrupt Ready, we've built. And they're okay. they're in the market today. Yeah, there's different levels of kind of bespoke, meaning very very custom, to higher up the funnel, which are kind of usable in a lot of different industries. But all that is in the market now, and we've built everything that we have mentioned. Again, the the best way to do that is to bring your finish line to that conversation. So if yeah. you're a traditional business and you say we want more leads for our product X, great. By yeah. when, you know, the more detail, the better. That's an awesome way to say, all right, is there an AI or an automation tool that would help us, you know, get that result? And more oftentimes than not, the answer is going to be yes. But it's with that inspection, kind of turn the funnel upside down to say, what, what, what do you desire? What, what do you want? And folks that build like us should be able to work with you and go, all right, we'll get you there. Yeah. As we wrap up, I'm I'm curious about one thing. So you've you've had 20 years corporate sales experience. You've launched your your own company. So you stepped out of the corporate world to launch your own company. What what you, you talked about the story of why you started the company itself in terms of the market need. I'm curious from the gut level human need to start your own company to give up the the predictability that you might have working for someone else to become a founder what led you to take that next step 
I, so, so move was favor. We, we were able to sell the company I helped start. And so that was congratulations market, on market that. event. Thank you. That a lot of, a lot of people involved in that. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a bit of, you know, hard work with luck and great. You take it. I think 100%. also just an intellectual curiosity that I've always had to say, can I do this? Am I able to, to make it on my own? And I think yeah. a lot, almost every entrepreneur has that question. And, we're always trying to answer it on the day-to-day yeah. so that I'm no different. And then I think the blue ocean, Sean, of what we're tackling, I've, I've never seen a better opportunity in my life. Real, real quickly, before you expand on that, let's define the blue ocean, red ocean, in, in case folks aren't familiar with it. I, I'm assuming this is based on the book. Yeah. So for me, it's literally the potential that's almost limitless. Yeah, um, and, and, and undefined, and yeah. so that 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 stimulates me. That I I want to go work in that environment because you get to make the rules. And guess what? Your customers will tell you if you're right or wrong real quick. Yeah. So that's a great feedback loop. And, and and the other thing I said like a minute ago, this thing changes so quickly that to to us it makes the ocean bluer. Meaning, look, it's hard enough to run a small to medium sized business as a founder and a, and a leader and executive these days. This is this is a full time job in and of itself. So we are we exist to be the guides to those folks to say you worry about your business, we'll worry about you being two steps ahead because you're with us. And so that's a that's a fun, great place to be, as I see it. Yeah. Where can folks find you besides disruptready.com? You're on LinkedIn. Yeah, my main platform, Sean, like you, I'm a big LinkedIn guy. I'm doing a lot. Henry Hayes, H-A-Y-S. That's that's really our primary platform of choice. And then at disruptready.com, that's where that's where I hang out. Awesome. Well, Henry, thank you. It's my pleasure, Sean. And good for you for doing this. Sales is changing and it's changing quickly. But I think those that tune into Shows like yours will be the winners. Thank you all so much for joining us. Before you leave, if you haven't already done so, go to systematicselling.co. That's systematicselling.co and subscribe to our email newsletter for free. This is where you can learn how to build, fix, and maintain the 10 systems every business needs to produce consistent, predictable, and most importantly, profitable sales growth. So I'll leave you with this. Always remember, when you fix your systems, you'll fix your sales. Until next time.